the big opportunity here is to focus on brands that are always catering to the hyper niches where consumers are just very interested in unique products. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven, and eight forget Amazon sellers, a subset of the amazing FBA podcast series or series of channels, I should say. Today, we are talking to Hugh from Axel Pro. Axel Pro is a buyer and operator of Amazon brands, and they use their own unique in-house tech to optimize the scale of the brands once they've bought them. Uh, different from just outsourcing it all to an Amazon agency, that's pretty common, I can say. So that's immediately a differentiator there. They've got offices in China, US, data engineering in Eastern Europe, and their HQ is in Amsterdam. And uh, Hugh is their acquisition specialist. So he's the person who negotiates with sellers who uh, want to sell their businesses. And today we're going to talk about deal structures. So first of all, welcome back to the show, Hugh. Thanks for coming on. Michael, very happy to be here. Thank you. So let's talk about deal structure. What are the basics of deal structure? Why do we even have to use the word structure? I mean, surely you're going to buy my business. You tell me what the number is. At some point, I hand my business over to you. You hand me the money and we're done, right? Or is it not that simple? It's not quite that simple normally <laughs> because, well, we try to keep it as simple as possible, but there's, we do include an earnout period and we view it as really as an opportunity for the seller to, the first thing is that it allows them to convey their conviction in, in the brand's growth. So frankly, if someone is shy of the earnout component, I'm almost thinking, why should we give you a large cash out closing component to offer to the deal if you don't think it's really worth that much? And it allows us to just basically say, listen, just hold our hand while we grow this thing and, and benefit from something that you've obviously invested a whole lot into for so many years. So we just view it as a, basically an added opportunity to make money from your business, but without having to be hyper involved in it so that you can move on to whatever it is that you'd like to do. If that be a, a vacation or do, you know, a different business, whatever that may be. Yep. Does that answer your question? I think it does, but that brings up an interesting question. Say so you're saying 
you're shy of the earn out. Why should we give you a large cash at close out? Which I can understand is a very valid question. At the flip side of that questions, I guess to be a bit challenging that surely the buyer might, so the seller of the business might say, yeah, but I don't trust you guys to necessarily grow this. A lot of aggregators have come into existence within the last 12 months or 24 months. They haven't got years of experience of operating Amazon businesses necessarily, and they don't necessarily trust them to grow the value of the business. So what's your response to that sort of counter? That's a great question. And I wholeheartedly encourage it because I think that's something when I talk about Axel Club or pitch the company, it's not because we just buy brands. That's not what I take a whole lot of pride in. Although I think we do a great job at that. I think that what the really fantastic part of the organization that I work for is how excellently we operate them after we've acquired them and how we're able to give these brands the exposure, scaling, strategic financing that they need to go on and dominate in their niche and to go on to, com to, to compete against the, the ever-growing number of large players in the space that they're probably working and to allow them to make money from that in, at the same time. So I'm more than happy to explain the inner workings of our operations team to say that obviously I'm not a seller myself, but the brand managers that we dedicate to each acquisition have experience operating brands for many years. And uh, we have PPC specialists, people who have lots of years of experience working in the space. So I wouldn't say while me and my team, yeah, we are a little bit not exactly Amazon natives per se, although some of us have some degrees of working with Amazon businesses, but the operations team, on the other hand, has lots and lots of experience in the space. Yeah, that's good to know. And I would say that the acquisitions team, their job isn't to operate the businesses. That's not relevant, really. They need to make accurate uh, business valuation decisions, I guess, that benefit both parties. But also tell me a bit about the fact that you do your, you develop what you call native tech. So native, so in-house tech, because I think that is important. A, a lot of acquirers do indeed outsource their the management of a lot of operations straight away to the sort of white labeling effectively, although they're not selling the seller, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they're effectively white labeling agencies. And I know, cause I speak to the heads of agencies who reveal that they are working with certain aggregators who I'm not going to name for legal reasons, but so why does that matter? And what do you guys do different? Sure. Yeah. So I remember when I was, you know, first starting off with Axel club at the beginning of 2021. And uh, we had just come out with a couple acquisitions and another fundraise and uh, a bit of PR. And I was getting contacted a lot by these, basically these data specialist organizations that would, were offering to build out a data infrastructure for us and all that. And I, I went to the CEO, to Max, and I was like, hey, do we want to buy this? And he said, that's what we do. <laughs> we're going to take care of that ourselves. And he comes from... This is Max Fierso, who, who he built a company which was acquired by Yandex. It's now doing over a billion in revenue and scaled it from the bottom up and using technology to do that. And so what he's done is he's taken a lot of his contacts and uh, a lot of other resources that we have to basically build our own team, which basically synchronizes all of the data from every store that we operate, puts it all into one place that they can help each other out and work in synchronicity. And then it, it helps us from basically to op op optimize the operation side, be that from PPC to sourcing products, 
to task management, it's really all in one place. And if we need to program or develop another component to do that, we have a whole team of engineers right there who are, 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 you know, willing and ready to do that as necessary. So that's, we've really been doing everything in house from day one. And I think that that's going to be a huge benefit to us because it allows us to really tweak and adjust the engine that we're building to meet the needs of each acquisition that we make. So I think that's going to be a huge critical competitive advantage for us. And it already is. Yeah, that does make sense. And it's interesting that we're talking about operations when we're in a episode where we're dealing with the, the segment of uh, valuation and deal structure. But actually, uh, I guess what we're talking is, is a little bit further into the future. Last episode, we were talking about how to build value in your business as the business owner, therefore, by definition, prior to exit, prior to selling. And then we are now looking into the future of the business and deciding if you're going to work in cooperation with each other for, I guess, two years is the standard earn out by the sound of it, you do the same that there is therefore a lot more trust on both sides needed. Like you need to say, if you're not willing to see a, a two-year future projection of growth for your business, why would we buy it? And the seller is saying to you, well, okay, but how do we know you're going to do it? So this is very in- interesting. So we talked about the deal structure before. So you mentioned, I think it's worth just re- reiterating quickly that your earnout is based on multiple revenue rather than EBITDA. Can you just quickly restate why that matters? Yep, absolutely. Yes, what we do is there's a cash at closing component, which is based off of an EBITDA or profitability multiple, which is a year from that cash at closing date, there's a first earn out payment, which is based on the revenue growth over that one year period. So that's generally anywhere from maybe five, 20 or, or upwards of that revenue surplus. And then a year from that, there's a second payment. So if you think about the revenue growth potential of your brand over two years, it's quite significant. And that's your second earnout payment. And the reason why we do that based off of revenue is because it's the most obvious, transparent metric that we can use for the client. And it also allows us to invest our capital into the business to even at the expense of its profitability without impacting the payout to the client that they would experience if they had an EBITDA or SDE-based earnout. Yeah, I, and I've got to say that makes total sense for me because one of the issues that's always struck me about that whole earnout structure with other people, and I think this is pretty unique. I've not come across another, when I say unique, somebody would be copying it tomorrow the way that the aggregators work. It's a lot of monkey see, monkey do in any space, and there's no different in this space. But what it does mean is that for me, if I were acquiring a business, first thing, I, and my plan was to buy it for, say, $10 million, I don't know, let's say 200,000 EBITDA and a multiple of, of let's say 5X, what generous so million dollar business value. And I would want to sell it. I would want to massively grow it and then sell it for a higher multiple down the line if I were going to resell it. I don't know anything about IPOs, so I couldn't speak to that, but that makes sense to me. Therefore, the first thing you're going to do is invest like crazy. And obviously that's going to hit the bottom line. So there is always been that tension in my mind. So that makes total sense to me that you've got a bit more alignment between where you want to go. There's less of a tension between why the heck have you spent my, if you're the seller, why have you spent my earnout dollars on growing the brand where you're going, well, of course we want to grow the flipping brand. That's why we bought it in the first place. So I, that does make sense. Now we talked, um, in the last episode, we sneakily put a bit of a, an open loop in there. And if we said, look, if you've managed to spend, I've got a client, I recently had this exact situation where they've had 
every single month they've had a profit since almost day one until I think last November when they spent so much on PPC or rather the agents that they'd employed to do it, they spent so much on PPC they actually had when their biggest sales months and actually had a loss. So that was a big hiccup and that's not unheard of and everyone makes mistakes. And then of course that sort of dings the evaluation and you think, do I wait another 12 months before I sell and how do we deal with that? So you've got a bit of a way of handling that. How does that work for you guys? Yep, absolutely. So we offer what we call a reevaluation. So what that means is say, for example, that you had a, a hiccup, maybe a supply chain hiccup over the last summer. Let's take, I don't know, June, for example. And we're negotiating right now about the sale of your business at the beginning of 2022, but you're aware that hiccup in June of last year will negatively impact your EBITDA. And so you're thinking, huh, do I sell now? Understanding that anything could happen. Maybe there's another hiccup in the future and it's just, who knows, let's just sell. I want to sell. So let's sell the business now and just acknowledge that I messed up and, and just move forward. Or what we offer is a current evaluation. So we'll select a multiple. We will purchase the business, so we'll buy the business and but we'll add basically a condition, which is that we will reevaluate the business within six months. So that means that in June of this year, which would be roughly about 12 years from when that mistake took place, we will reevaluate your business and whatever the difference is, we will pay you on top. Basically, it's a very substantial increase, potential increase. And the other thing too, is that over that six month period, we'd very likely give you the option to help us manage the business. So that would help us to integrate it into our portfolio. And that would also give you the opportunity to take our resources and deploy the brand and then also get paid from that at the end of the day. So I think it's a, a really useful tool. And I think it works for everybody. Because if you've already, if you're already in the headspace where you're ready to exit the business, we give you the option to do that and to have clarity on that situation, but not at, at the expense of a mistake or a hiccup that took place a few months ago. Yeah. There's a certain momentum and a certain sort of arc that you're on when you're heading towards exit. There's different from just if you're growing it. It's very awkward to ways I put the business on ice for six more months. So that's a very powerful option that. The immediate thing that springs to mind is, uh, that the seller going, yeah, but I guess that requires quite a lot of trust in you guys. How do you, without having to get into the nuts and bolts of lawyers or anything like that, how do you give sellers the confidence in that structure? Yeah, that's, I, that's a good question. I think that the way that it works is that we could perhaps have, I'd have to clarify that with our legal team, actually, I don't want to say something out of place. But I know that this instrument is something that we're not the first ones to do it by any means. We obviously have our US based legal team with a legal entity there. So we would, you know, basically be legally obligated to do that. And I think the main thing here is you would just want to be very clear about what's calculated in the EBITDA for both calculations, frankly. So if you're say on a salary over that six month period we would want that probably to be deductible from your EBITDA because that way you can't, or we just discuss that. We'd want to negotiate that. Those things would need to be clear from the outset. So there's maybe a, a little bit of an element of really discussing how EBITDA will be calculated given your salary expectations. 
But other than that, it's pretty straightforward, frankly. It's just, we put money into the business, you grow it, and then in tw- and within a certain amount of time, we reevaluate it, and whatever the difference is, we pay it out to you at once. It, it certainly is as a conceptual way of getting around the problem and keeping the momentum going. That makes a lot of sense to me. So let's talk about value then. Business valuation, multiples, it seems to be the way that everyone values it in this uh, situation, even though I remember Jeff Bezos saying that if we get a choice of valuation lesson methods, we'll take discounted future cash flows. So it's not the only, or even necessarily on the surface of it, the most rational way to value a business, but multiples seem to be here to stay. So tell me about the history of multiples uh, over 2021. They seem to be going up a lot. Where do you feel that they're going over the next 12, 24 months? We were talking at the beginning of 2022 here. Sure. Yeah. So I think to understand this question, it makes sense to actually maybe back up a little bit. I think if we look at the beginning of, and I'll get a little bit macro here, but I I think it'll be, I think it's worthwhile or necessary. At the beginning of 2021, we were dealing with a lot of, basically people were anticipating a lot of inflation in the global markets. And so what happens under those instances is that a lot of money basically moves out of bonds or, or fixed income securities into the private equity or the equity markets. And what we saw in the US was that the, the private equity markets basically had a record-breaking year last year, hit about $72 billion, I believe, and then actually started to taper off in November as people understood that interest rates would be increasing. With interest rates increasing, a lot of that money kind of moves back out of private equity into the back into bonds and back into fixed income securities. And so we're already seeing that it's already clear as day. And so obviously the e-commerce market is going to be affected as well. It's a good 13 billion is a good chunk of that 72 billion estimate of private equity spend. And we're already seeing at least that impact the market. Yeah, I think what people can expect is that over the next coming months, there's definitely going to be a correction. I think it's just inevitable, really. But then what we might see is that if fixed income securities can offer or bonds can offer an extremely attractive coupon, then some of that money might move back into private equity again, but it will be more selective. And that's the key point here is that it's not the same rush that we experienced over the summer. These are people that are very aware and very calculating about the profitability of the private equity asset that they're purchasing. And so I think that people can really expect to see a a correction in the short term in multiples, a potential long term increase, but with added selectivity in terms of the asset quality. Yeah, Lord makes a lot of sense. So in other words, really there is even more value in being really good at what you do, but less value in being quite good at what you do by the sound of it. So it's, again, it's worth doubling down on an excellent business. And if you've got a mediocre business, it sounds like now could be the time this one. So mediocre business, probably not something anyone would want to call, but good, but not outstanding business. But let's talk about what the factors are that create good versus outstanding. What are the factors that are going to push the multiple up despite the fact that the overall market may be correcting downward somewhat? How can we individually pull some levers and what are those levers to push that multiple and the value of our businesses up? Yeah, absolutely. Overall, I think the market is of course going to, going to grow. That's why we're in it. 
And I think the big opportunity here is to focus on brands that are always catering to the hyper niches where consumers are just very interested in unique products and coming up with a good way to provide those products to buyers. Individual sellers are just fantastic at that. And we're relying on them to be able to do that and to continue to be creative in that way. And we really, our, our job in many ways is, I, I talk to some sellers who say, shoot, if I'd sold one of my brands a few years ago, I could have put that money into my other brand and grown that three times as fast. And it's, I think there's a way for us all to work in synchronicity with the understanding that a lot of the creative superpower is held in the hands of, of the individual third-party sellers. And that once they've brought a brand to a certain plateau and it's off its training wheels, our, our capability is really scaling it and making sure that it's a very robust business. I like to think of it sometimes as the era of the aircraft carrier might be over in the sense that these huge retail companies are really just too slow and behemoth-like for the e-commerce space. The small sellers play an important kind of quick-paced role, and the aggregators are like the, the frigate class, if you will, like very medium-sized, lean, fast, well-funded, and we all play a, a, a certain role that I think is crucial to bringing the consumer the best quality service and the best quality. That the era of the aircraft carrier is over. Well, in, in an era of, of geopolitical tensions, that's quite. I like the way of thinking that it's in seeing some metaphors can help clarify, create a sort of mental picture of a space that we're operating in. And I think it's really important to do that. That's why I keep having a lot of aggregators and business brokers on the show, mm-hmm. even for people who are listening who won't ever sell their business, because I think. Understanding the space you're operating in and the bigger picture financial drivers really can enable us to quote, see round the corner. And I remember that's one of the definitions of a CEO is somebody you can see around the corner, see what's coming in the market and position the business to ride the waves, whether that means lower multiples, higher multiples, wh- whatever the operators are. And uh, yeah, I think the, the agility of small business owners is great. And I guess. Agility can also lead to a lack of focus, can't it? So it can, it can be the sort of shiny object syndrome, it could be the, the downside, the dark side of the agility of ability to change is that sometimes we change stuff that we shouldn't. So tell me about the stuff that we shouldn't be changing and the other factors that push the multiples down if we're not careful. Sure. Yeah. So I think uh, focus is absolutely key if you're a smaller business, really emphasizing the things that you're good at and, and really thinking down, like sitting down and thinking about what is it that my brand is really good at or that I'm good at bringing to my brand? And I think that's a, sometimes a pretty personal question. And I think that maybe we can give you some clarity, but I really doubling down on that. I think focusing on the consumer again and using your proximity to the consumer, being able to, to relate to them. And oftentimes if you came up with a product, maybe you just researched it, but that's great too. A lot of the time it's because you in some area needed it probably in your own personal life. So that gives you a lot of access to understanding what adaptations you could maybe and how to present it more conveniently to a buyer so they don't have to go way out of their way in order to discover that it exists or that it's available to them. So these are all big advantages that third-party sellers have and will continue to have. And really doubling down on those capabilities, I think will just always lead to, to continued success. I like that a lot. And, and it's a very positive 
message, but a very realistic one. The other person at the shop end of actually literally deciding how much you're going to buy, what the actual commercial value is of a business, not just some kind of happy thinking. You actually put money where your mouth is or literally put your company's money <laughs> anyway. And yeah, just to reflect on that, I think the overall thing that I'm getting back is that a small business owner is in a great position to tweak the product to match the market very precisely and tweak the marketing. Whereas the traditional big picture companies, I guess they're not quite as bad as back in the Mad Men um, days of the sixties, where you had people who created products like cigarettes and then had a bunch of people selling them who, who knew nothing about cigarettes, knew nothing about consumers and just came up with, they were just very good at marketing, but there was an absolute separation between the consumers, the producers and the, the marketing people. They lived in different worlds. They didn't care about each other. And in the case of advertising cigarettes, obviously you clearly don't care about your product, the consumer's welfare. There's a real, that connection piece is I think really great. And I think it's really great to, to understand that and to lean into that as business owners, that we don't let go of that, that piece, but that we lean into it. So really uplifting thing to hear in measurable financial terms. That's really great. So tell us, uh, we ought to wrap this one up. So tell us what services you offer to uh, business owners. What do you do for people in general and, and specifically what can you offer them and they want to take the next step and, and have a chat to you? Yep. So we will offer excellent exit terms to Amazon sellers and D2C business owners with the understanding and, and guarantee that we will run their business very responsibly. We are very intent on, on taking all these brands to the next level. We're confident that you'll be able to find your products that you help to create and to develop and to sell in every store marketplace conceivable. And that will, will run the business excellently and that you'll receive excellent exit terms as well. And that we'll work with you to make sure that fits your personal situation and your timeline, make that process as smooth as possible. Excellent. And, um, for those who are interested in particularly business valuation, we talked about multiples and how changeable that is. So something to keep an eye on, how can you help people who want to find out what the value of their business is right now? Yep. So you can come to our website, axoclub.pro, and then you can go to the uh, contact us page. There's a short questionnaire. It's very brief. If you just enter your information, I'll follow up with you or one of our other business development managers will, and we'll have a, a short 30 minute conversation. And that's really like a micro evaluation, if you will, and also an opportunity for us to just get to know each other a bit. And then we'll take it from there. We'll establish what your timeline is, what you're looking to sell, what your expectations are from an exit. And then if you're ready to receive a formal offer, we'll request your financials. And then within two to three days, we'll have presented the business at our investment committee and we'll come back to you with a formal offer and an LOI. So you can move, yeah, I was going to say letter of intent, yeah. You can move pretty quickly then by the sound of it. I mean, I guess that's traditionally one of the, the virtues of an I would say, and this isn't necessarily, forgive me, Hugh, in your direct interest, but I would say in the interest of the consumers of, of this content and the, the listeners who own businesses, so the people who's, who I'm working on their behalf, I would say this, go and talk to people. You don't have to necessarily go straight to getting an offer, but go and talk to people and inform. Hugh's 
gentle soul. He's not going to hard sell you a, like a, a used car salesman and anybody responsible isn't going to do that either. They recognize that they have to build rapport. There's a competitive marketplace now. And therefore, go and educate yourself is what I would say. And hopefully today's been part of educating people. Certainly, I've, I've learned a thing or two. Very interesting to see where you think the multiples are going, what's driving that very interesting to try and look around the corner there. So it just remains for me to say, Hugh Owen from Axel Club, or Axel Pro, I should say. Thank you so much for coming on the show and enlightening us about all this good stuff. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So folks listening live, thanks a bit of a marathon. If you've made it to this point of the video, you've got a lot of stamina, but hopefully this is important stuff. It's important because not only if you're considering selling a business, but I would say this, if you're going to even consider selling a business in future, or if you never want to sell, but you want to understand whether what you're doing has any commercial value, i.e. is it a good use of your time and effort and money, then I think you should educate yourself about this. There you go. My two, two pennies or four cents. Cute. Thanks so much for coming on. I must let you get back to the business of actually closing some deals, but it's been uh, really educational stuff. And thank you again for, for sharing so much great Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.